Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Previously on Serralo Sports Talk. Phoenix Suns are playing better basketball going back to last year's bubble than any team in the NBA. This is not a fluke season. Enough of the Lakers heat. Enough of the Celtics making a run. I don't want Brooklyn. I don't want to see Kevin Durant and James Harden anymore. I want Giannis. I want Devin Booker. I want the teams that have had their fan bases suffer for years to go out there and duke it out for an NBA title. Giannis, this is a guy who now people are starting to say, does he stay in Milwaukee? Does he ring chase elsewhere? If anyone can take down the big three in Brooklyn, it sure as hell ain't Philly. It's the Greek Freak and the Milwaukee Bucks. I think this is the year that a Utah, a Phoenix, and Milwaukee takes down a Brooklyn, takes down an LA. If it's ever going to happen, this is the year it happens. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Game four, a couple nights ago, Milwaukee, Phoenix going to be knotted up, headed back to the desert at two wins apiece, all over the all-star break in Major League Baseball, Monday's fantastic home run derby, is Shohei Otani the face of baseball? We'll get to it, but how about game four from Milwaukee, the Bucks, the Suns, I was all prepared to talk about Devin Booker playing hero, Devin Booker who's been compared this postseason to the likes of Kobe Bryant, to the likes of LeBron James. He's had an absolutely historic postseason, the best debut ever for a player in his first NBA playoffs. And he dropped the ball. 42 points against Milwaukee, the leading scorer by far on his team. No one else had more than 15. That was Jay Crowder, of course, who did it with a few long balls. Devin Booker dropped the ball. He had the opportunity to be the hero. The man of the hour, until he wasn't. Until he got into foul trouble in the fourth quarter. Played only seven minutes. And opened the door for the hometown hero, Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is the man you should be thinking about before Game 5 starts in Phoenix Saturday night. Chris Middleton is the reason that the Milwaukee Bucks are not in an elimination game right now on Saturday. Chris Middleton... For everything that Devin Booker didn't do in the fourth quarter, Middleton did it. Four points in the fourth quarter for Devin Booker. The man had 38 after three, just four in the final period of play in those seven minutes he was on the court. Middleton had 14 on his way to a 40-point performance. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks did not provide much more help to their stars than the Phoenix Suns did. This game was like watching two-on-one. It was Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak, and Chris Middleton versus Devin Booker. And only Devin Booker. Uh, I mean, for all the comparisons of Devin Booker to Kobe Bryant and to LeBron James this postseason, how about what Chris Middleton not just did last night, has been doing for weeks? You want to talk historic postseasons? Chris Middleton tied LeBron James last night. 
for the most game-tying or go-ahead shots in the fourth quarter or overtime of a single postseason in the past 25 years. He's got 15 of them throughout this postseason. I mean, he is the reason that come crunch time, the Bucks are in games. Of course, Giannis has multiple 40-point games. Of course, Giannis has the star power, is the star, to match up against Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving in that Bucks nets series a couple rounds ago. Look, the Bucks couldn't do this without Giannis Antetokounmpo. They also wouldn't be here without Chris Middleton. And I'm sure he's going to have the opportunity in Game 5, Game 6, maybe even Game 7, to pass LeBron to get another game-tying or go-ahead fourth-quarter overtime bucket in. Chris Middleton is having himself a historic postseason just like Devin Booker is, and it's not being talked about. I don't want to make any excuses for Devin Booker. You know, the lead story today on this show changed, did a complete 180 in the final three and a half minutes of that game. Because Devin Booker actually might have been better off, even with Phoenix losing, if he fouled out when he should have with three and a half minutes to go. Then you couldn't say he didn't show up in the fourth quarter because he was barely on the court in the fourth quarter, or rather he would have barely been on the court in the fourth quarter if he fouled out on that clear, intentional foul on Drew Holiday's fast break layup with three and a half minutes to go. Now look, I know that the foul wasn't called, and that, you can argue, helped Milwaukee, because Giannis recovered the missed shot from Holiday. Giannis put the ball in the net. Giannis made it a one-point game at that point. But what's more valuable with three and a half minutes to go in a finals game? Is it to cut the lead from three to one, or to go to the free throw line, down three, ensuring that the other team's best scorer, the other team's star, hell, the only guy on the other team who can make a bucket that night is done for the evening. You know, I thought the officials totally bailed out Phoenix with that no call. I figured after that, I don't care, it's a one-point game now. Devin Booker's in the game. He's not going anywhere. God knows how he didn't foul out. This one's over because Booker's going to keep lighting it up in the final three and a half minutes. And Phoenix, just like I predicted when I said Suns in five, I said Phoenix would win game one, game two, drop game three, recover game four, and clinch it in five. I said Phoenix is, this is panning out perfectly for them. They're going to go home up 3-1 and they're going to win it in the desert on Saturday night. But instead, Devin Booker, who for 45 minutes was lights out last night, instead he disappeared. The only two points he had in the final two minutes of the game, came when they were down six on a layup with like 20 seconds left. Meaningless. I mean, you talk about having four points in the fourth quarter. He had two that mattered. Chris Middleton had 14, and they all mattered. You know, I really liked Phoenix going into this series. I liked them in five. I liked them going into game four, even after dropping game three. I'm losing confidence. Suns in four guy, I know you're losing confidence too. I don't know how Phoenix is going to be able to recover. I mean, Chris Paul, the first ballot Hall of Fame point guard, the incredible all-time great, any list, any way you draw it up, he's a top five point guard of all time. I would argue he's a top three point guard of all time, but might not be that high on some other lists because of his lack of relative postseason success. Chris Paul has not showed up this series. He had a great game one, and since then games two, three, and four, you're looking at a guy who's averaging five turnovers a contest those two games in Milwaukee averaged four and a half turnovers and only 14 and a half points I mean Chris Paul needs to wake up last night 10 points a bunch of them came in the fourth quarter when his team got outscored by 14 he was absent he couldn't step up when Devin Booker wasn't there you know I don't want to 
be too harsh on Devin Booker? Because even though he failed to be present in the fourth quarter last night, he had no help from the start. I mean, I mentioned that this game was two-on-one, and you could say, well, Milwaukee didn't help out Giannis and Middleton too much. They still had two guys. You try winning a two-on-one game of basketball, it's not that easy. Unless maybe you're playing against six-year-olds, and you're my age, my height. What Devin Booker did last night was nothing short of amazing. He just couldn't do it for 48 minutes. And when he couldn't do it in the final quarter, Chris Paul was nowhere to be found. DeAndre Ayton was intimidated. Can we talk about that block on that failed alley-oop attempt by DeAndre Ayton? Giannis Antetokounmpo meeting him, not just at the rim, not just above the rim, at the top of the square on the backboard. I mean, I don't care if Giannis is 5'10 or 6'10. He got up there. And he broke up that play, and he broke up plays all night. Giannis's offense in Game 4 is not the reason that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to Phoenix tied at 2, going to Phoenix with all the momentum, all the confidence. It's Giannis, the defensive player of the year. That's the reason. Because Chris Middleton was the guy on offense. He was the point man on O last night. But Giannis and Tentacumpo, what he brings to the table on both ends of the floor. I mean, yeah, he had, what, 25 points last night? But... It was all about his defense. The near triple-double was great, too. All about his defense. If I'm the Phoenix Suns, I'm afraid right now. You had the golden opportunity to steal one on the road, because let's face it, anytime you win a road game in maybe not the NBA playoffs, but the NBA finals, you're stealing a game. And Phoenix had the opportunity, the golden opportunity, to steal one on the road and go home up 3-1, knowing two of the final three games, if it even makes it that far, are on your home court. In front of your fans, by the way, one of the best fan bases in basketball. And knowing that, they squandered that lead, they squandered that opportunity. And now, even going home on Saturday night, the Phoenix Suns, they don't have control of this series. They won't have control Saturday night. The Phoenix Suns are going to be the team on edge Saturday night. They're going to be the shaky team. The team that if Things don't get going early if they don't get a spark right off the bat from Booker, from Paul, hell, maybe even from Crowder. It could be a very long night on their home court because the Bucks are playing loose. The Bucks are playing with house money. Uh, I mean, Milwaukee's performance, I cannot say enough. They had a starter in P.J. Tucker who played 30 minutes and did not score a single point. When I talk about them providing no help to Chris Middleton, to Giannis Antetokounmpo, I'm not talking out of my ass. They provided no help to those two guys. But right now, those two guys are so hot, they don't need any help. Giannis is shooting north of 75% in the paint. You want to talk comparisons, right? People are comparing Booker to Kobe this postseason. Middleton, of course, you've got that comparison to LeBron in terms of crunch time being a clutch player when it matters most this postseason. How about Giannis being compared to Shaq in the paint? The man is not missing anything within 10 feet of the rim, anything at the elbow, at the free throw, well, maybe not at the free throw line if you know Giannis Antetokounmpo's style of play, but anything that he has an opportunity to get inside, to challenge DeAndre Ayton, he's dominating. And and Ayton's playing well, but Ayton looks overmatched. And it's tough, I know, because Ayton's a center, a traditional center, has been one his whole life, and you get Giannis, a forward who can handle like a guard, who can jump out the gym, but who can play like Shaq at the same time. There's a reason he's called the Greek freak. There's no one like him. 
and Chris Middleton can score all the points. Chris Middleton can hit all the fourth quarter shots. It's Giannis's team. There's a reason he's a two-time MVP. There's a reason he's the defensive player of the year. The man does it all. And he's the best player on the court at all times. Even when he's not at 100%, which by the way, he still isn't. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo is still not his full self. And I think that was evident last night, more so on offense than defense. You know, he had to save his energy at times when he was going to perform at his peak. Let Middleton do some shooting. He had no problem giving the ball up. Eight assists. That's not really characteristic of him. He's not really your disher. I mean, this is a team that has Drew Holiday. He's one of the best distributors in the game. I think Drew Holiday on a team with with two stars, even though one of them is a true superstar and one of them is more of a 1B, 2A like Middleton. I mean, Holiday's the guy you want running that group. He hasn't shot the ball well. Giannis did the handling. Giannis did the passing, did the distributing. And when he needed to, Giannis did the rim stuffing. And DeAndre Ayton, I think he's going to be intimidated. I know he's a big, bad guy, but don't forget, he's still young. And I don't see DeAndre Ayton challenging Giannis and Tentoncumpo in the post with all that much confidence moving forward. But look, at the end of the day, Devin Booker, there's not much more he can do, right? He needs to show up in the fourth quarter, but from start to finish, there's not much more he can do than he did in game four. He needs Chris Paul. He needs the Hall of Famer. He needs the quarterback of this team to show up and show out. Because to this point, CP3 has not been there in the final three games of the finals. Games two, three, and four have not been indicative of CP3's regular season, of his postseason to this point. And I know he's another guy like Giannis. He's battled injuries. But look at Giannis. Look at how he's overcome those injuries, how he's performed. He's playing like an MVP. He's playing like a Hall of Famer. Now it's Chris Paul's turn. He's got one, maybe two games left on his home court. He's got to go out and play like a Hall of Famer because the clock's ticking for Paul. For Giannis, he's got 10, 15 years easy in the tank. Chris Paul's clock is ticking. If he's going to win an NBA championship, a Larry O'Brien trophy, this year is his best shot. He's got to do it now and he's got to come back and show who the real Chris Paul is in game five when we come back here on Sorallo Sports Talk Shohei Otani is he the face of baseball or just the best player we'll answer that we'll tackle the all-star week from the MLB and much more so stick with me Joe Sorallo right here on Sorallo Sports Talk Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk, and the second half of Major League Baseball season starts tonight. I mean, it was supposed to start last night, but you can count on the New York Yankees to screw up a good thing. Their rivalry, the best rivalry in baseball history, the Yankees, Boston Red Sox, supposed to begin last night, Thursday night. Now, not only was last night's game canceled, the whole weekend in jeopardy because of the Yankees' carelessness with COVID protocols. But like I said, that's the Yankees. And I'll get back to them in a little bit. I've got more to say about the Yankees and All-Star Week and why a certain closer named Aroldis Chapman 
had no business being in Colorado for the game, but more importantly, the stars of the week, right? Why focus on the negatives being that team in the Bronx when you can focus on the superstars who were at center stage all week? Shohei Otani. And the big debate right now, all over, every network, wherever you read, watch, listen, is Shohei Otani the face of baseball? 33 home runs at the All-Star break. Absolutely unheard of. Oh, and by the way, the Babe Ruth comparisons, being a pitcher and an everyday player, they're not. The Babe Ruth comparisons are so inaccurate because Shohei Otani is a unicorn. Shohei Otani is doing right now what Babe Ruth never did, never dreamed to do. Shohei Otani is pitching more than Babe Ruth did. He is dominating both facets of the game at a higher level than Babe Ruth did for the time that he was a pitcher. When Babe Ruth was a pitcher, he didn't hit the way Shohei Otani is hitting right now. And I know, Babe Ruth is the best baseball player of all time. He's the man who saved baseball. This is not about bashing Babe Ruth or his history or his legacy. I mean, Babe Ruth was baseball in the 19-teens and the 1920s. Babe Ruth saved the game. The game might have been extinct without him. But Babe Ruth and Shohei Otani are so different because Shohei Otani is playing in an era where everyone throws 95 plus. He's playing in an era where pitchers are arguably softer than they've ever been before in baseball history. Shohei Otani is one of a kind. He's no Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth is sure as shit no Shohei Otani. But when he did this All-Star game, wasn't enough to draw me to the game. Because baseball's main event, All-Star Week, is Home Run Derby. And let's face it, Shohei Otani is not quite yet the face of baseball. Why? Well, everything that Stephen A. Smith said on first take on ESPN earlier in the week, you can take that and throw it out the window. It has nothing to do with the language barrier. It has absolutely nothing at all to do with him using an interpreter that's preventing him from being the face of baseball. It has to do with where he plays. It has to do with being not a Los Angeles Dodger, but a Los Angeles Angel. Because they may have LA attached to their name, but don't forget, they're the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And that little of Anaheim reminds you that the Angels are the little brother in LA. That they are a small market team who just happens to be located about 45 minutes outside of the second biggest market in the country. The Angels have the best player in baseball, and no, his name's not Shohei Otani. His name is Mike Trout. He's not quite 30 years old. He's already a three-time MVP. You can argue he deserves five of them. And if his career ended today, he'd be a surefire, no doubt, Hall of Famer before his 30th birthday. Mike Trout's the best player in baseball. He's been so for nearly a decade. And is Mike Trout the face of baseball? I don't even think he is. Because the Angels can't market their players for crap. The Angels can't win for crap. Mike Trout has never won a playoff game. He's got... Three MVP awards, and that's three more MVP awards than he has postseason victories. Look, maybe the Angels are going to switch things up. They just did a first. They just spent all 20 of their draft picks in last week's MLB draft. Again, this year, the draft cut down from 40 picks to 20 picks as a result of some budgetary restraints from COVID shortening last season by two-thirds. The Angels took all 20 picks and drafted pitchers. So maybe they're on to something. Maybe they're jackpot crazy, but they're not a winning franchise. They haven't been for a long time, and Shohei Otani is not even the best player 
on that franchise. So no, Shohei Otani is not the face of baseball. He's a unicorn. He's a one in a billion type player who we should enjoy every single night because he doesn't have to be enjoyed every fifth night like a Jacob deGrom does. A Jacob deGrom, who by the way, much like Shohei Otani, is in his own league's MVP discussion respectfully. I mean, when Jacob deGrom pitches, it's appointment television. And you look at what he's doing and challenging Bob Gibson's modern era single season ERA title of 1.12. The season ended today, Jacob deGrom breaks that record. And I know he's regressed. I know his ERA shot up about a half run in his last three, four starts. That just shows you how ungodly he was playing for a portion of the season. That going into June, he had more RBIs than he had earned runs allowed. I mean, he is a freak in his own right. To me, he is more of the face of baseball than Shohei Otani. And he's not even the face of baseball. You can argue another guy on the Mets, ironically, on a big market team that is now finally, unlike the Angels, acting like a big market team. You could argue that Pete Alonzo, the back-to-back home run derby champ, is a guy who would be a great face of baseball. I mean, he hits balls 500 feet that get out of the park at 115 miles per hour routinely. He donates a tenth of his home run derby winnings to charity. In 2019, he was making half a mil on the season, won a million dollars, doubled his salary that night alone and donated 100000 split evenly to two different charities, one of which is his own. I mean, Pete Alonso does everything right. And I know he wasn't an all-star. I know that the first base position, especially in the National League, is stacked with an MVP in Freddie Freeman, with a stud in Anthony Rizzo, with Paul Goldschmidt, who I don't even think cracked the team this year, down in St. Louis. I mean, the first base position has so many stars that it's really hard, especially when you got off to a slow start this year like Alonzo did, it's really hard to separate yourself. But what he does on the big stage, on the home run derby, when everyone's only watching you, I mean, he's amazing. I know those home runs don't count for anything outside of a fun night, but at the end of the day, he gets his face out there, he calls his timeout, he pumps up the crowd, He's bopping the music and then hitting dingers 500 feet. Like Pete Alonso is a face of his sport, but not the face. The face of baseball right now. And this is why Stephen A. Smith's point about Shohei Otani's language barrier is completely off base. The face of the sport right now is not a guy who was born in the U.S. It's Fernando Tatis Jr. I mean, he is by far the most exciting player in baseball. Scoring from third on a sack fly that was a pop-out to the second baseman, right? Crushing balls 450 feet, stealing bases, flashing his leather in the field. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a five-tool player who was traded, here's a blast from the past, to San Diego from the White Sox farm system for James Shields. And I could be very wrong about this, but if memory serves, James Shields, the year he went to Chicago from San Diego, I believe had the worst DRA in the American League. James Shields, if nothing else, this I'm certain of, is the pitcher who allowed a home run at Petco Park to Bartolo Colon, the 300-pound wonder. I mean, James Shields is what the White Sox gave Fernando Tatis Jr. up for. He is the face of baseball. I'm sorry. Shohei Otani's incredible. He's appointment television every night he plays. He's just not the face of baseball yet. And by the way, while we're talking about the All-Star game, Like I said, without Jacob deGrom, to me, it was not worth watching. Even with Otani hitting leadoff and starting, to me, Jacob deGrom needed to be playing in that all-star game 
for me to tune in. And I'm thrilled that Taiwan Walker got his nod. He deserved it. He deserved it before DeGrom announced he wouldn't play. Of course, that was baseball kind of making right, saying, all right, well, if DeGrom's going to sit out, we'll send his teammate, who was already deserving of an appearance. But a couple other things confused me. I mean, Max Scherzer, who didn't make the original roster, and, and you can argue he was a borderline candidate to make the team from the get, but him being a replacement and then starting the game made zero sense. I mean, a guy who I'm not personally in love with anymore, but Zach Wheeler down in Philadelphia, to me, with DeGrom not there, it's between Corbin Burns and Zach Wheeler. I mean, if you compare Zach Wheeler's numbers to Max Scherzer's numbers, his whip is better, his ERA is better, his strikeouts are better. Uh, I mean, what did Zach Wheeler do to warrant facing one batter? Face the last batter of the game for the National League and got a three-pitch strikeout. I mean, I would have loved to see him go against Otani. Otani hit 100. Well, guess what? Zach Wheeler's the kind of guy who, when he's only pitching to, I mean, he only threw to one batter. If he's only pitching one inning, he's going to light it up. He's a guy that I thought about the Mets exploring in the bullpen way back when, when it seemed like they had a fool's riches of starting pitchers. I mean, Matt Harvey, when he was still Matt Harvey, Syndergaard coming up, Steven Matz, when he was coming up. I thought, gee, Zach Wheeler to the pen is a guy who can throw 100 every night, every inning. Why didn't he get the nod? Made no sense. What made even less sense? Aroldis Chapman. And we're back to the Yankees. I told you this would come full circle. Aroldis Chapman making the all-star team? Are you kidding me? You know, the Yankees are the only team in baseball this year to go into the ninth inning up four or more runs and blow it. And they've done it twice. The culprit each time? Aroldis Chapman. He's got an ERA of four and a half. He's got a wins above replacement of 0.8. One, the guy's not worth a half a win above replacement. And in the day and age, in the era of StatCast and metrics, you're going to tell me Aroldis Chapman was an all-star this season? I don't care if he throws 105. The guy is having a horrific season. I don't care what he's done in the past, what he's done in the playoffs, winning a World Series in Chicago. Aroldis Chapman has stunk this year, especially in the past few months, and had no business being sent to Denver for that All-Star game, had no business representing his team, his league, at the Midsummer Classic. I mean, the Cleveland Indians have literal no-names in their bullpen, three of them who all were more deserving of a spot on the All-Star team than Aroldis Chapman. I just don't get it. I don't know if it was the players, if it was the coaching staff. I mean, the fans don't vote on pitchers. Aroldis Chapman being there baffles my mind, but luckily for me, the Yankees aren't going anywhere this season. When we come back, my final word here on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. Stick around. You don't want to miss it. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word right here on Sorallo Sports Talk. And this episode, it's all about a player who I love. A guy who I think, by all accounts, has been an incredible teammate, leader, not just player, but person throughout his entire career, who was arrested out in the state of Washington where his home is the other night, Richard Sherman. 
And this one stings, this story, because I've gotten to meet Richard Sherman. I've gotten to talk to Richard Sherman. Not only did he provide what I thought was absolutely incredible content for my show a couple of years ago ahead of the San Francisco, Kansas City Super Bowl down in Miami, but he was a stand-up guy who looks you in the eye, makes you feel as important as the next person he talks to. You know, Richard Sherman being arrested the other night does not sound like Richard Sherman. And I, I think that's indicative when you listen to his wife, Ashley Moss, who made the 911 call that the audio was just released for. When you listen to how she describes him and how she described the so-called domestic violence and burglary incident, you know, she did say she never felt that she was in danger. She never felt that their children were in danger. And that's why I almost hate that this is described as a domestic violence and burglary incident. That's what he was arrested on. That's what he was booked on. And his court date, of course, just was yesterday. We're still waiting on details from it. But Richard Sherman obviously has problems going on behind the scenes, right? I mean, he's an intelligent guy. He's a self-made guy who grew up with nothing in Compton, Los Angeles. He got himself to Stanford. Look, you don't go to Stanford just on football alone. You look at anyone who went to Stanford and who was really successful, right? Think about the biggest names in the NFL to come out of Stanford. Andrew Luck. Look, Andrew Luck probably could have gone wherever he wanted, right? Comes from money. His dad was a prominent figure in college football. But Andrew Luck is a really smart guy. And Richard Sherman is a really smart guy. Graduated from Stanford with a communications degree and a 4.0. Got himself drafted. Late round draft pick. Made himself, just like how when he had nothing growing up, he made himself into something. Made himself into something in the NFL when he was told he wasn't fast enough, wasn't big enough, couldn't defend number one wideouts on opposing teams. Well, he's been the number one cornerback, obviously not now at the later stage in his career, but for a good chunk of his career, he was the best cornerback in football. And he was always a better person than he was football players. So this news is really disheartening. Frankly, it's really shocking. And I think it sheds light on a bigger issue within the NFL community. And if you look at what the NFL just announced that they're spending, I believe, $4 million on, hamstring injury research. What kind of allocation of funding is that? $4 million on hamstring injury research. As opposed to taking that $4 million and more and investing in brain injury research, investing in CTE research. I mean, if you tell me that Richard Sherman just did this out of nowhere, I'd be pretty shocked because the reports are that he himself drank two bottles of hard liquor the other night, that he was texting and calling people, threatening to hang himself. He drove drunk, allegedly crashed his car in a construction site and fled on foot to his father-in-law's home where he was trying to break down the front door, hence the domestic violence part of the charge. Still unsure where the burglary comes in, but the domestic violence, again, never harmed Ashley Moss, his wife, never harmed his kids, was trying to break down the door to his father-in-law's home. That's where that charge comes from. I have a really hard time believing that this is Richard Sherman at his core. I mean, we've seen other really disturbing stories recently. Chad Wheeler the former Giant, former Seahawk offensive lineman, beating his girlfriend within a pulp, within an inch of her life. You've got Deshaun Watson and that disturbing story. 
You know, if the accounts are true, he's a repeat offender. That's a core issue. That's who he is as a person. This is a very isolated incident from Richard Sherman. And he's nearing the end of a long and successful career that featured a lot of hard hits. And, and it makes me wonder why the NFL is taking $4 million and putting it towards hamstring injury research when you can get vitamin D, eat bananas, drink water, and pretty much help your hammies that way. Maybe stretch before and after lifting intense weights, squatting 495 pounds. I don't know, just a guess. But instead, they're once again turning a blind eye to a bigger issue. You know, Richard Sherman has everything in the world, right? He's got money, he's got Super Bowl rings, he's got family, he's got a beautiful family, and he's calling and texting people saying he's gonna hang himself, he's drinking two bottles of hard liquor. There's obviously a bigger issue there. And to me, the NFL repeatedly keeps neglecting this issue. They keep sweeping it under the rug because they're worried that it could impede on their ability to make even more money year after year. And when it affects someone, like Richard Sherman, who you know at his core is a good person, that's when it becomes bigger than an isolated incident. That's when the league has to look at what they're doing for one of their faces, right? Right? The vice president of the executive committee of the NFL Players Association. Obviously, I'm not the only one who thinks Richard Sherman's a stand-up guy. Obviously, he's respected by his peers all across the league, by officials all across the league. And that's what makes this story even more shocking. I'm glad that Ashley Moss, his wife, is okay. I'm glad her parents and her family and their children are okay. But Richard Sherman, who ironically and unfortunately is also a free agent and now might have even that much of a harder time getting a job this upcoming season, Richard Sherman's clearly not okay. And the best thing for him, his family, and everyone involved in the National Football League, from officials to players down to fans, the best thing is for him to get help because he is one of the faces of football. I talked in my last segment about the faces of baseball. Richard Sherman, for the better part of the past decade, has been one of the faces of the NFL. And all I can say on my behalf is that I hope he gets the help he needs because Richard Sherman is a good guy at his core. And just like that, this episode, episode 37 of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Guys, I know I took a six-week break. I'll be back next week with more consistent content with my next show, so stay tuned. I'll see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.